0: God, the faithful gather this morning to adore the God who made them and redeemed them in Christ Jesus. We are a people who understand that we are who we are because of pure, rich, free, sovereign grace. That our standing as forgiven sinners is due not to our merit. It is due to that which Christ has accomplished for us in Calvary. And we come to celebrate the beginning of that life, the beginning of a life that ended in a death, a Bethlehem that concluded at Calvary, a manger that made its way to a cross. But, oh God, we celebrate Him in His beginning and His end and His ascension and His intervening for us even now as the great high priest. Oh, Lord Jesus, to us. To us whose eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit of God to us, you are altogether beautiful in all that you've said and done and all that you've lived for us, O God. To think that you stood before men and prayed to your Father that He would love us just as He loved you. Oh my, my goodness, Father, to think... That ruined sinners, reclaimed by grace, are loved just as you love the Son. Our lives are indeed hidden with Christ in God. And because we are wrapped in robes of righteousness that were not ours but given to us by Him, we come to celebrate the One who to us... Is altogether lovely, our Father. There is much going on in the minds and the hearts of all the people in this room. There is family concerns. There are there are traveling concerns. There is schedule concern. There are schedule concerns, and I pray that you will all allow us for an hour to not be distracted as we focus upon the one we've come to worship. Oh, Father, how fun it is to gather with Your people, to sing uh, this good news, good news that is unparalleled in its scope. And so might Your people be exhilarated by the, the commonality of worship, by standing next to other people who love the same Jesus. Might we as a people learn what it means to live out and to flesh out koinonia, a, a, a relationship that is developed horizontally because we share one vertically. Might your people be refreshed by being with your people in the presence of the living Christ. And now, Father, it's our, our turn to give. It's our delight to do so. We pray that every, every check, every bill, every coin will come from a heart that, that overflows with praise and adoration for this God we've sung about. And Father, might every dime be used for one purpose, to advance the kingdom of the King. Why would we spend the money any other way but to give glory to Jesus Christ? We pray, of course, in His name. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And let me just read you a brief portion of the uh, Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, and we'll read through verse 20. Luke 15. Excuse me, Luke 2 at verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Some of you may remember, I hope you remember at least a tad, uh, last week in my uh, another version of Christmas story, I told you that it was something like this. It was like viewing Christmas from a heavenly perspective or or seeing Christmas through angels' eyes. I, I made that statement. And And I had a story that I wanted to tell. Actually, it was a story by J.B. Phillips. And I I, I should have included it last week, perhaps. But I thought, I'm going to save it until next week because it it forms a nice uh, transition from last week to this week. But J.B. Phillips tells a story about a senior angel that is uh, showing a very young angel around the splendors of the universe, giving him a tour. And they view all of the whirling galaxies and the blazing suns. And, and then they flit across the infinite expanse of the universe. And finally, they come to a galaxy, um, a relatively small galaxy, that contains about 500 billion stars. And uh, it's there, or from there, that I will quote. <clears throat> As the two of them drew near to, to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets... The senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere, turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing with his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's so special about that one? A little angel listened in stunned unbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small and insignificant and not overly clean, was the renowned visited planet. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on on that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up, to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Well, someone needs to tell that little angel that he's not the only one that's confused. This, uh, this business about incarnation, uh, it is pretty baffling stuff. I mean... Um, messiahs don't arrive on planet earth very frequently you know and uh, when you look at the um, at this issue of incarnation that is god becoming flesh if you look at it from the from the big picture the 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 big panorama it's confusing but if you look at it in its small details it's still baffling and, and my dear brother and sister in Christ, we need make no apologies about being confused about some of what's going on here. Confusion is kind of normal when it comes to this subject of of incarnation. Um, Philip Yancey told a story about how he uh, was um, introduced to incarnation and how confusing it was, and he said that he. Um, He learned about incarnation, the confusion surrounding it, while he maintained a saltwater aquarium. Let me read you his experience about maintaining a saltwater aquarium. Management of a marine aquarium, I discovered, is no easy task. I had to run a portable chemical laboratory to monitor the nitrate levels and the ammonia content. I pumped in vitamins and antibiotics and sulfur drugs and enough enzymes to make a rock grow. I filtered the water through glass fibers and charcoal and exposed it to ultraviolet light. You would think, in view of all the energy expended on their behalf, that my fish would at least be grateful. Not so. Every time my shadow loomed above the tank, they dove for cover into the nearest shell. They showed me one emotion only, fear. Although I opened the lid and dropped in food on a regular schedule three times a day, they responded to each visit as a sure sign of my designs to torture them. I could not convince them of my true concern. To my fish, I was deity. I was too large for them. My actions too incomprehensible. My acts of mercy they saw as cruelty. My attempts at healing they viewed as destruction. To change their perceptions, I began to see, would require a form of incarnation. I would have to become a fish and speak to them in a language that they could understand. A man becoming a fish. (laughs) how absolutely absurd but ladies and gentlemen compared to God becoming a baby it's a small thing and yet according to the Gospels according to the New Testament that's exactly what happened at Bethlehem God became a man that's pretty heady stuff. Um, the, the specific event we seem to understand fairly, fairly well. We know that Jesus Christ arrived during a period of Roman domination in that area of the world and he spent his infancy hidden in Egypt because Herod the Great had decreed that all of these two-year-old babies would be slaughtered. And then we're told that... Um, Uh, after Herod the Great died, that an angel uh, goes to Joseph while they're still in Egypt and and, and communicates that it's now safe for them to return to their home in Israel. But they cannot return to Bethlehem because that is being ruled by one of Herod's sons, Herod Archelaus. Um, And he was still kind of looking for, you know, what his father was trying to do. And so uh, because of the local politics, uh, Jesus spent his, uh, his childhood in a city to the north known as Nazareth. And um, that section of the country was being ruled by another Herod's son, whose name was Antipas, who later on in his life, Jesus would call the Fox. And it was that Herod who ended up beheading John the Baptist. Now, none of that is too hard for intelligent people like you to understand. But what makes it so confusing is that all of that happened to God incarnate. Not exactly a a welcome mat thrown out for him and his visit. Uh, A welcome mat like was thrown out several years ago when the Queen of England visited the United States. Several years ago, you may remember that um, uh, Queen Elizabeth II visited the United States and all of her pomp and all of her fanfare and the flourish and bright lights and and, uh, jewelry and all. And and the, the reporters who reported on the event great, took great pleasure in detailing for us what all was involved in getting her over here. The logistics of all of her, her little visit. And uh, it was said that she brought with her 4,000 pounds of luggage. Now, ladies and gentlemen, when you check in at the uh, Memphis International out there, you are allowed 70 pounds. Well, she brought 40 pounds. Thousand Pounds two outfits for every occasion. She brought a morning outfit in case anyone died while she was here She brought um, 80 pints of plasma and my favorite thing. She brought several white kid leather toilet seat covers for her majesty She brought her own hairdresser. She brought two attendants, uh, two valets, and a host of other uh, people to assist her in this visit. And it was estimated in one of these articles that her visit cost the British government over $20 million for a brief visit from English royalty. Now, in contrast, in meek contrast... God's visit to planet Earth takes place in an animal shelter where there were no attendants, and there was no place to lay a newborn baby except a feed trough. and very likely there were more animal uh, or animals viewing this whole event than there were humans. You know, Jesus might have gotten stepped on by a donkey. No wonder, no wonder angels are confused. So am I. And so is Mary. She kept all those things and pondered them in her heart. The mother of Jesus was confused. I read a story about a mother who was playing a little game with her six-year-old son. And what she was trying to do is to, is to familiarize her son with um, uh, barnyard animals. And so she played the game uh, in kind of a can you guess. And what she would do is she would give hints and can you guess what kind of animal this is. And she would say, uh, this animal is, uh, is fat and loves to wallow in mud. And the little six-year-old said, that's a pig. And so then it was the six-year-old's turn and, um, and he said to his mother, Okay, I'm thinking of a mammal. He's large and he does tricks. And the mother thought and thought and thought, and she said, Well, I give up on your time. And he says, It's Jesus. And the mother thought, Well, you know, that's a little bit irreverent to be saying about Jesus. And then as she thought more about it, she thought maybe her son had come up with a, a very incisive insight to the to the incarnation. God is. As a mammal. (laughs) Um, No wonder we're all so confused. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if the incarnation confuses you, then the rest of his life, (laughs) his teaching, his, his work, if anything... That's more confusing. Um, for instance, his refusal to, to conquer these people militarily, which he could have done and which is exactly what Israel wanted and expected, but he wouldn't do that. And then there were those occasions that he healed. There were several of them, half a dozen or so occasions where he would heal people and then he would say, um, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And then, then um, those flocks of people who would try to find him and chase him down, and he would go and hide, run from the crowds. And then, my goodness, those parables that he told. <laughs> anybody got those down yet? That one about the uh, that uh, that Jew that got himself bashed up on the way out of, out of Jericho, and and he gets. Um, he gets taken care of by a, a, a Samaritan of all people. And, um, and, and then there was that parable about that deadbeat son who comes home to his father and is lavished with all kinds of gifts while the fine, upstanding son gets rebuked. And I think the one that is the most baffling, at least to me, at least in terms of parables, is the one about the landowner who uh, wanted to hire some people to work in his fields. And so he goes out early, real early one morning, to hire some people to um, to work in his fields. And and uh, a couple hours later, he realizes he needs some more workers. And so he goes back and hires some more. And then a couple hours later, he goes to hire some more. And he goes and hires some more. And then finally, there's only two hours left in the day. And so he goes out and hires some <coughs> some more people to help him in the fields. And then at the end of the day, they all line up to get paid. And he pays them all the very same thing. That story makes absolutely no economic sense. Um, This landowner is giving away gifts instead of wages. And through that parable, ladies and gentlemen, we are all introduced to the Scandalous mathematics of grace. It just just doesn't make any sense. You know, if we all got what we deserved, why, we'd all go to hell. One man who I don't know, but his name is Robert Capone, Capone, said, if the world could have been saved by a good bookkeeping... It would have been saved by Moses. And then there was that story where this rich guy who had a whole lot of influence in the community comes to seek Jesus and Jesus rebukes him and repels him. While the poor are, are honored and gathered and, and desired. And then he taught this strange stuff like don't resist your enemies but pray for them. The last shall be first. People who think they saw really were blind. The greatest are the least. And then that one story, really it's an Old Testament story, which is probably the worst of them all. It's the story about this this apostle, no, no, not apostle, this prophet... Who marries this woman by the name of Gomer? I mean, what set of parents would do that to their child? I mean, you name your daughter Gomer and you're asking for trouble. But Gomer turned out to be a bad girl. And she just uh, continued to be unfaithful and unfaithful and unfaithful. and, And God kept coming to her husband and saying, go take her back. Go take her back. Go get her. Go get her. And of course, the prophet was supposedly representing what God does who endures such continual humiliation after humiliation after humiliation and goes back from over. Gomer didn't get fairness. She didn't get justice. She got grace. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think the incarnation is baffling, There's nothing more baffling than grace. It's always upside down. It always is inside out. It never adds up. In the the world of grace, two plus two doesn't equal four. Grace always baffles. People, People get what they don't deserve. Forgiveness liberally given to the guilty. Do you remember that story in, in the book of Judges about Samson? He told that riddle about the lion. You remember that? And the riddle goes like this: It's in Judges fourteen, and it says um, um out of the strong came something to no, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. You see that's how that's how grace is. You never can quite. Uh, you know, out of the eater comes something. No, 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 no. This is, it's a picture of grace. The little riddle is a picture of grace. Grace means that there is nothing that I can ever do to make God love me more. And it also means. But there is nothing that I can do. Nothing that I can do to make Him love me less. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think the hardest thing about grace is that grace is unfair. (laughs) At least in my book it is. Grace baffles because... It goes against every shred of intuition we have. In the in the face of injustice, somebody's supposed to pay the price. Isn't that right? Don't you feel that at the base of your soul too? Um, a murderer just can't just can't be just can't be forgiven. I mean, my goodness. What are we going to promote? You know, gang, from grammar school onward, we are taught how to succeed in a world of no grace. The early bird gets the worm, and no pain, no gain, and, and uh, the, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Demand your rights. Get what you pay for. I know those rules. I know those rules well because I live by them. I work for what I earn. I like to win. I I, I insist on my rights. I want want people to get what they deserve. No more, no less. But I want them to get what they deserved. And then Jesus shows up in His approach to um, the unclean is rather scandalous. And ultimately, it got him crucified. But Jesus took that that cherished Old Testament principle of people getting what they deserve, or that, that, that sinners weren't allowed, and he replaced it with, with grace. Where we're told that we're all sinners but God loves us anyhow <laughs> did you see the movie the last emperor where this uh this young child really is uh, anointed as the last emperor of china and of course he lives this this luxurious life of excess, and one day um, he was talking to one of his brothers, and um, one of his brothers said, um, what happens when you do something wrong? And he said, well, it's easy. When I do something wrong, one of my servants pays for it. He said, let me show you. So he breaks a vase, and sure enough, one of the servants gets beaten. Ladies and gentlemen, in Christian theology, Jesus reverses all that. It's when the servants do something bad, the king gets punished for it. Grace is free, ladies and gentlemen, only because the giver of grace. Has borne the cost of its distribution. You know, folks, if there um, if there is a catch, and I hate to use the word because it sounds like I'm trying, or that the New Testament is trying to trick somebody. But that's the best word I got. If if there is a catch, um, if there is a catch to grace, it is it must be received. And the Christian word or words for that reception is faith and repentance. You see, it is faith and repentance that are the doorway to grace. Repentance is not something that God arbitrarily demands of us. Listen to how C.S. Lewis described repentance. It is simply a description of what going back is like. <laughs> Isn't that great? Think, think in your mind's eye about the parable of the prodigal son. And C.S. Lewis is saying that repentance is simply a description of what it means to go back. It's a description of that journey once we've realized how empty the life we are living is. It's a picture of that track back the open arms of a father in an awaiting celebration you know you see that you see that in the Psalm 51 if you know anything about Psalm 51 it's one of those biggies you know you got Psalm 23 and you got Psalm 100 and Psalm 139 and Psalm 190. well Psalm 51 ranks up there with the biggest Psalm 51 is a, is a Psalm of repentance out of the mouth of David who has just been convicted of his great transgression with Bathsheba. And if you read Psalm 51, you hear this man doing what C.S. Lewis suggested. You see him going back. If there's any catch, ladies and gentlemen, and I use that word (laughs) advisedly, but if there's any catch, the doorway to grace is going back. Is recognizing how empty the life you now live is and going back. I told this story once before, but uh, it bears telling again, I think. It's another C.S. Lewis story, but years ago, of course. I think you know that C.S. Lewis died on the same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. But um, C.S. Lewis, was, they, were, they were conducting a British, a, a British conference on comparative religions. And all these experts from all over the world had gotten together, and they were, they were trying to figure out what, if anything, was unique about Christianity. What what if, if there was anything unique about Christianity? What was it? And so somebody suggested that it must be the incarnation. And others said, no, no, there are other religions that have versions of uh, of incarnations and um uh, that's not it. And then somebody said, Um well how about this? How about resurrection? Resurrection is is unique to Christianity. And they said, no, 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 that's not, that's not it, because other, other religions have uh, some kind of version of resurrection. And about that time, C.S. Lewis walked into the room, and, and, and as these men were squabbling over the uniqueness of Christianity, and, and um, uh, Lewis asked, um, what, What's all the ruckus about? And he said, well, these scholars, these experts from around the world are trying to figure out what unique contribution, if any, does Christianity make to the world of religions. And Lewis said, that's easy. It's grace. Ladies and gentlemen, you do realize that, don't you? Nobody. Nobody talks about grace but our God. Nobody offers forgiveness full and free while the king gets punished. Nobody offers that. Except the Christian world. Uh, They offer some maybe high standards of morality. Certainly the Mormons do. But nobody, nobody offers grace. except us. Dead gum at it. It's all so confusing. Out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. (laughs) It's almost riddle-like, ladies and gentlemen, that when the servants do bad, the king gets punished. Ernest Hemingway tells a story about a, um, a Spanish father. You know, Hemingway was big in Spanish stories. But he tells a story about a, 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 a Spanish father who had broken off a relationship with his son. And as a result of breaking off the relationship, the son moved to Madrid to be away from his father. And after the passage of a couple of weeks or months or whatever, the, the, um, the father was very remorseful that he had no more relationship with his son. And he decided that he wanted to reconcile with his son. And so he, he makes the trip to Madrid and takes out a, um, an ad in the local newspaper there in Madrid. And in that newspaper article, the Spanish father says this Paco, meet me at Hotel Montana, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Paco is a fairly common name in Spain. And so. At noon on Tuesday at the Hotel Montana, 800 young men named Paco stood there waiting for their father. But what could be better news than to hear that the father has said, All is forgiven. I'd show up at the Hotel Montana too, wouldn't you? Ladies and gentlemen, there is such good news in Christmas. It's baffling news from start to finish. But it's, it's baffling in our favor. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, I say to you, some of the confusion is part of the beauty It's baffling on the side of sinners. C.S. Lewis said once, we need more to be reminded of the gospel than to try and understand it. So ladies and gentlemen, I come to you at the Christmas of 2001. And I make no attempt to explain it. I've come to remind you that God gives grace. God gives His scandalous, intervening grace to those who don't seek it. They don't deserve it. They continually resist it and don't appreciate it once they've got it. I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is no better news that has ever reached the human ear. Paco, all is forgiven. see you at the Hotel Montana. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that the, the great beauty of the Gospel might be seen today, and if I in any way have marred its beauty, that You will allow men to see not not what I have said, but somehow to go beyond and see the beauty that... that that stares at them, that in all of this that is concerning the birth and the life and the ministry and the work and the death of Jesus Christ, the bottom line is simply that you, O God, have found a way to save sinners like me. And you've done it through taking the penalty of my sin on yourself. Oh God, might the richness of that sound stir within us more gratitude than any gift we'll experience on Tuesday. Might we discover that our souls are better fed than any meal that we will take during the next few days. To hear that. The King has taken the punishment of the sinner's wayward ways and has announced publicly and declared for all to see. All is forgiven. Those of us who have received that grace, O God, we relish its very taste. Might every person in this room, O God, Know a little bit of what it means to be saved by grace through faith alone. And we pray, of course, in Jesus' name.